the Giants are starting so slow. It's so painful how slow they're starting in every single game. Uh, in the first half, we have six full quarters of first half football for the Giants now. They've scored six points, two field goals, no touchdowns in the first half. They're constantly behind. Uh, they've played 180 minutes of football so far overall this season. They've led for a total of 19 seconds. That was that Arizona game where they went ahead at the end. Other than that, they've been either tied or trailing all the way. That's a tough way to live in the NFL. It's a tough, it puts a lot of strain on your defense too, right? So how can they actually play a game on their own terms? Because the Giants have not, through three games, have not once played the game on their own terms. They're always playing catch up because they're always taken out of their game by the opponent by playing from behind, right? So like, how do we change this? You know, what do you see out there? What's, especially in the first half in their, these painfully slow starts, like how can they get that flipped around? Because until they do, they're going to really, I mean, this is going to be a grind and a struggle all the way through. Well, it's a total team effort, and that and effort is going to be the key word. I think that's the theme of this entire show is you got to show effort, and that's in the trenches particularly because the Giants have been dominated in the trenches offensively and defensively. It hasn't even been close. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here along with my buddy Dan Benton. It's the Giants Wire podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. Dan, of course, is the managing editor of Giants Wire. Dan, how the hell are you doing this week? Could be better. The Giants are a little frustrating right now. Uh, But, you know, it's a nice fall day here in New York, so I'm going to enjoy that and not stress so much about the team. So, Nope, I I don't agree with that at all, Dan. Let's stress about the team. Let's get right into it. Okay, (laughs) let's get right into it. Uh, I think, you know, reading through Giants Wire, you guys' coverage, obviously that game on Thursday night was a while now. We're talking on a Wednesday before the Seattle game, and we'll be getting into that one here a little bit later. But one of the big things on Giants Wire and a big topic around the team overall is just – not only the issues on the defense, Dan, but just the the tackling, right? The tackling. You've brought it up in past episodes of the podcast and in past weeks, but now the, the this game against the 49ers was just next level, right? They had uh, uh, the Giants missed 16 tackles in the game, according to PFF. I think it was more, and according to other outlets, it depends on who you who you look at. It, it is not easy to tackle Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and these guys. I get it, and the Giants. I mean, I mean the uh, 49ers have a good offense. But 16 to 20 missed tackles in a game, Dan, like that's almost unheard of in the NFL. Uh, so just what's, what's your take on this? I mean, I, I'm just I'll just set you up by reading what you wrote on Giants Wire. Just one instance. You said uh, in several instances, defenders appeared to shy away from contact, which I think is a telling line right there. But you also wrote one of these glaring misses came courtesy of rookie cornerback Trey Hawkins, who whiffed so hard on 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell that the wind could be felt back in East Rutherford. So. That's a pretty good line by you, Dan, but it kind of highlights just, you know, guys whiffing, guys not sticking their nose in there. I mean, what is going on with the Giants defense and what's going on with all these missed tackles, man? What Can you can you explain it to us? I think Tiki Barber said it best, and I want to apologize right now if anybody can hear it. My, we have guests on the show this morning. My chickens are losing <laughs> their minds, so I, I apologize for that. <laughs> we love our hens but, uh, here on the Giants Wire podcast. It's all good. Yeah, they're, they're uh, more lively than the Giants defense is, so... I guess there's that, uh, but I I think Tiki Barber said it best. It just appears that there's a lack of effort. I don't I don't really know that there's any other way to spin that. Um, either the Giants are really really bad, and their players are just completely incapable of tackling, which is an entirely different issue that they have to deal with, or there's just a lack of effort. And I think that that Trey Hawkins one um, that really highlights the lack of effort. I mean. I know he dove, he swung his arms, he made it look good for the film, but when you actually break it down frame by frame, it's just he clearly made a business decision. And 
I think that's telling. And you've heard me praise Hawkins on this podcast repeatedly. I think he's actually the better of the two cornerbacks that the Giants have. His ceiling is very high. He's extremely athletic. He's a good player, generally very physical. So it was odd to see him shy away from, I think, shy away from the from the uh, contact. And, and I think that's telling of the leadership in the room because when you've got rookies who are shying away from contact, they usually follow the example set by other ones. And you see that happening around the team, around the defense. Uh, obviously, there was an instance with Kayvon, you know, where the running back came right up the middle. He kind of shouldered him, didn't lift his arms, kind of let him go right on by. It's just there's too many examples to choose from. But, you know, again, like Tiki said, there's there's no other explanation other than lack of effort. Yeah, Tiki says, you know, he quote, I, I hate to call guys out on effort, but that's just what I saw. I can't explain missed tackling other than they just didn't want to, period. So uh, it's just, you know, candid and like biting commentary right there. He's he's calling out the effort. He's calling out the want to um, by the Giants. I know. You mentioned before we even started recording this morning, Dan. You said Xavier McKinney, you know, said told reporters not really stressed about the missed tacklings. He doesn't think he doesn't think that's the problem on defense. What what happened to the Giants, Dan? What happened to this, especially on defense? This like little plucky team that stuck their nose in there and grinded all four quarters and were tough to beat. The team you didn't want to face. Maybe they weren't the best team in football last year, but nobody wanted. To, ask the Minnesota Vikings. Nobody wanted to face the Giants in the playoffs last year. They were a tough. Hard-nosed group, blue-collar, whatever you want to call it. Oh, God, I shouldn't have used that word. Freaking Joe Judge sneaking into my head there. But you know what I'm ta- trying to say, Dan. What the hell happened? Xavier McKinney's not stressed out? Who can, Who would not be stressed out about the Giants' defense right now? Yeah, I, I, his his comments were curious. It was during a Zoom meeting. So, you know, there's there can be something lost in translation. The problem is it's, it's not just a, a transcript that you're reading from. You can actually watch him as he talks and listen to him as these words come out of his mouth. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that maybe he was miscommunicating what he was trying to get across. Um, as a captain, you don't want to say, I don't care about the fact that we, you know, lead the league in missed tackles. That's certainly not something you want to hear from one of your team leaders. But again, it goes back to what I said earlier. These rookies seem to be following the lead of some of these veteran players, and these veteran players are making curious decisions on the field. They're saying curious things off the field. There's just a really bad aura around the team right now, and I think McKinney's comments kind of highlight that. And I know a lot of people kind of want to sweep them under the rug as some sort of, you know, uh, non, non-intent. non Like, you know, he was trying to say something that didn't ultimately come out of his mouth, but he was asked a question multiple times and multiple times he says he's not stressing it. And quite frankly, when you're missing anywhere between 29 and 31 tackles through three weeks, anywhere between worst in the NFL and third worst in the NFL, that's something you definitely should be concerned about because, again, going back to what Barber said, it's not that you're poor players. It's just that you're not playing up to your potential. You're not putting in that effort. And I think there are other things on the defense that highlight that beyond just the tackling itself. And you know, those those are numerous, you know, in, 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 in what they are as well. One of the things that I highlighted before we came on air today is watching Phil McCabe Thibodeau against the run. Say whatever you want, you know, as far as his pass rushing ability that we've already debated. We could touch on it again if if people feel it necessary. But this is a guy who was chasing everybody down from behind last year, running 40, 60, 70 yards down the field to make, you know, touchdown saving tackles. And you watch the film uh, of him against the 49ers in particular, and the running back gets beyond him and that's it. He just throttles it completely down. There's no chasing it from behind. There's no following, flowing to the ball. There's none of that. He, you know, once the play is beyond him, he just stops playing. 
And, and again, that's an effort thing. That's just, that's all there is to it. That's just an effort thing. That's not an athletic or talent thing. That's it. Guys are out of it. And, it, and it's weird. It's weird to see. I agree with you hundred percent. And you just expect guys to go, especially defensive players. You expect them to go hundred miles per hour. That's, that's, that's the NFL. That's football. That's what fans are expecting. Yeah. That's what everyone's expecting. And to see the Giants. I, I, I think that. the one argument, yeah, they're not. And I think the one argument that could be made on their behalf, even though this is not one I would, would make myself, but I'll put it out there for everybody to, you know, use and, and view as they please. It's that the defense has been on the field an awful lot. So these dudes are pretty tired and beat up at this point. Yep. Uh, granted, the the rotation along the defensive line in the front seven is vastly improved from a year ago. So, you know, they're not taking the overwhelming amount of snaps that they did in bulk last year, but they're still spending an astronomical amount of time on the field over the first three weeks of the season. And uh, honestly, that's that's the only excuse that you could possibly make from for them is that they're completely exhausted. But the counter to that is that these issues are – persistent they happen from the opening whistle to the closing whistle so you know even when they're fresh there's there's still this problem and this seeming lack of effort yep yeah and i I think that's a fair point uh but per pro football focus data in your article on giants wire you you wrote the giants have 29 missed tackles through these three games that puts them in the top five league wide you're up there with the defenses of the bears uh you don't want to be up there with the bears and anything on defense, the Bears are just a dumpster fire, and they they easily have the worst defense of football. So if you're in any category with the Bears, that's bad. But Bears, Lions, Rams, defenses that are really struggling, uh, the Giants are up there with those those teams. And and I think to your point, Dan, with the defense always being on the field, I mean, that's true. It's fair, right? I mean, the Giants are starting so slow. It's so painful how slow they're starting in every single game. Uh, in the first half, we have six full quarters of first half football for the Giants now. They've scored six points, two field goals, no touchdowns in the first half. They're constantly behind. Uh, they've played 180 minutes of football so far overall this season. They've led for a total of 19 seconds. That was that Arizona game where they went ahead at the end. Other than that, they've been either tied or trailing all the way. That's a tough way to live in the NFL. It's a tough. It puts a lot of strain on your defense, too, right? So how can they actually play a game on their own terms? Because the Giants have not, through three games, have not once played the game on their own terms. They're always playing catch up. Because they're always taken out of their game by the opponent by playing from behind, right? So, like, how do we change this? You know, what do you see out there? What's especially in the first half in their these painfully slow starts? Like, how can they get that flipped around? Because until they do, they're going to really. I mean, this is going to be a grind and a struggle all the way through. Well, it's a total team effort, and that and effort is going to be the key word. I think that's the theme of this entire show is you got to show effort, and that's in the trenches particularly because the Giants have been dominated in the trenches offensively and defensively. It hasn't even been close. It looks like a pro team playing a college team every single week, and that's just not a recipe for success by any stretch of the imagination. So the guys up front are going to have to figure it out, and they're going to have to figure it out quick. I think a lot of that has to do with health, of course. The shuffling of the offensive line, you heard me say this in the preseason. I didn't like the idea of shuffling the offensive line then because it, it kills the continuity. And now because of injuries, the Giants have been forced into that shuffling of the offensive line. And you can see that it's killed the continuity. Um, it doesn't help the fact that veteran uh, Mark Lewinsky has, for whatever reason, completely fallen off a cliff. He's and buried. Been replaced. Yep. He's, he's, yeah, he's done. Totally is, he's done with the Giants. There's no doubt about it. Barring, you know, several injuries ahead of him, he's probably not going to see the field again unless maybe there's a jumbo practice or something. But, you know, that that certainly didn't help. But again, that back to the same theme they're just getting killed in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And and if you can't convert on third downs or put yourself in third and manageable situations offensively, and you can't get off the field on third down defensively, 
then you're good. That's it. You're going to constantly play from behind. And that's what we've seen. Um, so in order for the team to start faster, first of all, they're going to have to win up front. Uh, they're going to have to shore up the tackling. They're going to have to show effort and they're going to have to not be so damn conservative on the offensive side of the ball. You know, you, you saw against the Cardinals in the second half where they just turned Daniel Jones loose and said, you know what, just whatever happens, happens. And, you know, he made plays down the field. I don't know why the Giants didn't do that against, you know, the 49ers, because the reality is, you know, midway late to the third quarter, they were still very much into that game and had a very realistic chance of winning that game. And then it just kind of got away from them. That was despite all the issues defensively, uh, which, again, largely were issues with tackling, effort, third down defense, things of that nature. Um, Daniel Jones can't he can't continue to get beat up. You know, you can't he's being pressured on almost 50 percent of every single drop back that he makes, which is by far and away the worst in the entire league. And that's not conducive to solid quarterback play. Again, I don't care who's back there. And that's not absolving Daniel Jones of his own issues. He's missed some open receivers. So he's certainly got to get it together too. But I think he's a little giddy because he's getting the crap beat out of him every single time he takes a snap. So there's a whole lot of things that the Giants need to do. And and there's some coaching issues that they need to deal with. You know, let's just be honest. This magical, you know, uh, coaching staff from a year ago that everybody, you know, praised and, and John Mary even warned you can go from Bono to Bozo real quick. Well, it looks like we're at the Bozo point of things right now because the Giants just collectively as, as a coaching staff are not not getting the job done. They're not putting their players in the, in the best position to succeed. They're being out coached on a regular basis. The game plans just like last week's game plan, handcuffed Daniel Jones, abandoned the run completely. You're getting dominated in time of possession. You need to keep your defense off the field for a little while. And they took no shots down the field. Jalen Hyatt saw no targets. They completely got away from the run. There was no design runs for Daniel Jones. Granted, the 49ers were doing a a pretty good job of making sure he wasn't going anywhere. But then you run back into the same old problems. Your receivers, the spacing is not good on the field. They're not creating any separation. You know, your offensive line is is get beat against four man rushes and there's you know that's just all of these issues that didn't exist this summer have suddenly resurfaced for the giants and it's like we're back in the joe judge era yeah it, it's so frustrating you got a team that can't pass blocked in doesn't want to tackle and and on the coaching front like it seemed like they had a blueprint it seemed like something finally clicked in the second half against arizona i think we're starting to see that arizona is not a slouch they beat dallas pretty handily this past weekend they get a decent yeah i mean listen and we said that yeah we, we we've said that to our credit we're like hey maybe this team's not as bad as everybody says they are and i think that's actually a saving grace for the giants right now uh because that miracle comeback after three strong performances in a row by arizona kind of makes you look at them and go you know okay maybe the giants did and do still have something there but you're right. It's it's kind of odd how they completely flipped that on its head from the last two quarters versus Arizona to the full four quarters against San Francisco. Yeah. And they got away from literally everything that won them that game previously. Hundred percent. I mean, they got re- the the deep, you know, stretching the field a little bit with Hyatt, the play action, get the run game going, play action, open things up over the middle with Waller, you know, with the play fakes. Daniel Jones is probably he's an excellent play faker. It's one, of, it's one of the best things about his game. And, all oh, by the way, he can run off of some of those fakes if it opens up, right? So, I don't know. The, the play action and all that that they got going against Arizona, like the run game and everything kind of building off of that, like what happened? Like where'd it go? I know it was a short week, the but, argument, man, that's frustrating. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, the argument will be, well, they didn't have Saquon. Okay, they didn't have Saquon, but they also didn't even try to establish the run against yep. the 49ers. They abandoned it almost instantaneously. And, you know, it's not like they were down like they were to the Cowboys in week one where they absolutely had to pass. You still had the opportunity to establish the run, to ground and pound a little bit, to open things up with that play action, to take some shots deep because they're moving safeties up in the box when you're trying to run the ball. They didn't do any of that. Uh, you know, again, and I credit San Francisco for bottling up Daniel Jones on the ground, but the Giants didn't even try to get him loose. They didn't they didn't scheme anything in there for him to run the ball. So, uh, you know, it was just short passes all day, nothing to, you know, grind the clock, nothing to control time of possession. Um, you know, and again, their defense got tired because they were on the field for so long. It was just it was just an absolute mess. And that all comes back to the coaches, in my opinion. Absolutely. Perfect storm. Yeah. Matt Breida and Gary Brightwell, four carries each. <laughs> so that's it. That's and it. Matt Breida is not a bad running back. Like I know he's no Saquon. He's not, he doesn't have that game breaking ability, but he's a good North South South runner. He'll put his shoulders down He'll put his head down. He'll plow forward. He'll, 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 he'll be physical enough that it forces the defense to adjust to him. And that opens everything else up, but the giants didn't even try. Yeah, he's pretty quick too when he can get out there in the open field. If he can get to the second level, he is fast. He could he could break one. But yeah, the running backs not involved. Daniel Jones in the run game not involved. They didn't get any of that going. They had no semblance of a run game. And again, that's just everything you kind of did against Arizona where you found success in that second half a couple weeks ago was predicated off the run game and the play fakes. And they couldn't get to that, and it was just a disaster, as usual, with the Giants right now, Dan. All right, we'll try and, to and I do, there is an issue. There's an issue that that everybody should have with the spacing and the, and you know and the separation too, because this was an issue that we were certain the Giants had addressed this offseason with all these added speedy guys, the added uh, presence of Darren Waller, this mismatch nightmare. None of it has proven effective outside of the two quarters in that Arizona game. They're still running into the same problems. There's still separation issues. There's still spacing issues. Uh, there's not enough time for Daniel Jones to stay in the pocket and scan the field. There's not enough time for routes to develop down the field with the speedy guys like Jalen Hyatt, who, for whatever reason, again, they didn't even bother throwing the ball to. And again, all of these things compound, but you know, the, these were issues that Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable allegedly addressed. And here we are. It's like a broken record. They're having spacing issues. They're having separation issues. And then you've got Darren Waller, who, let's just be honest about it, through three games, he's underperformed. He has underperformed. He's dropped a few passes. You know, some people are like, oh, Daniel Jones threw it high. And maybe that's true. But the entire idea of Darren Waller is that he's able to go up and get those balls. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's what the benefit of having him on the offense was supposed to be. But you saw those balls going off his hands. One goes for an interception. Another one falls to the ground. You know, the one that went for an interception is a play. You got to you got to catch that ball. That's just all there is to it. It's the NFL. You got to catch that pass. The other one that sailed way high, all right, you know, it wasn't a great throw by Daniel Jones. It certainly is partially his fault. But again, that's what Waller is supposed to bring to the table. And when he's not making those plays, those difficult catches, where Daniel Jones is thrown under duress off his back foot, whatever have you, you know, the, the, the benefit that you thought you were getting is not necessarily there. And that, again, it just adds to the problems. It does. Yeah. Uh, I think Waller, uh, that's been disappointing. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, the throws aren't going to be 100% between the numbers when Jones is getting pressured. What do you say, Dan? 50% of his dropbacks on the season, which is a very, yeah, 47%, very high, it, a, to be exact. Yeah. Very high number in the NFL. Um, so but, hopefully, you know, it goes beyond just yeah. that. 
even when Jones is hitting people right between the numbers, like Gary Brightwell literally hit him in the hands, went through his hands, hit him in the chest, and then fell to the ground. Like, you you couldn't run up and put the ball in a better spot. And, and we're seeing that with the Giants. You know, Saquon's two drops that turned into two interceptions, one of which is a pick six. Uh, Gary Brightwell dropping what would have been a first down. Darren Waller dropping a pass that turns into an interception. Like, these are issues that you, you could say whatever you want about Daniel Jones. And, you know, again, he's he's been far from perfect. He certainly deserves some portion of the blame here. But, you know, what else are you supposed to do in those instances? When you do that, things start to snowball. And that's just, again, that's been a major issue for the Giants. It's it's the same thing as opposite of what's going on defensively where they're not making the effort to tackle. It doesn't seem like they're making the effort to catch. So, again, it's just it's just a weird, weird combination of issues that the Giants just seem to recycle year in and year out. Yeah, and I think you nailed it earlier. It's the aura around the team. I loved how you put that. It's this weird feeling. It's just like, where are the Giants from yesteryear? You know, the team that everyone kind of started to believe in, and then the hype was kind of real coming into the season, whereas, you know, everybody was picking the, you know, a lot of people, at least on the Giants' side, were, were thought the Giants had a real shot to go and beat Dallas in week one, but we all know how that went, and it's just kind of been a really rough start. We knew it would be. It was a tough three-game stretch. Not a lot of rest here one and two, I guess we'll take it, Dan. Uh, now we'll get to see yeah. what the Giants can do on on extra rest yeah. against Seattle here on Monday yeah. night. And, and if there is one saving grace for the Giants in this last game, listen, it doesn't apply to the Dallas game. So it's it's hard to you know say this broadly. But leading up to that San Francisco game, it is important to remember that they were forced to stay on the West Coast. They only had a walkthrough practice or two walkthrough practices. There was no full practice ahead of that game, which is clearly a detriment. You've heard me say it a million times. Practice, 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 practice means everything. When you don't practice, you get more injuries. When you don't practice, you play poorly. So I suppose if there is one silver lining to that performance for the Giants, it's that they went into that game completely cold. 100%. And it was uh, they lost that game in June. That was a scheduled loss, right? That was going to be a really hard game to win. It was going to be a really hard game. Yeah, well, we said it. You know, that, you know, listen, opening the season with three games in 11, 12 days, whatever it was. That that's brutal. Two of them on the road, both uh, both of those being on the on the West Coast. Uh, two of them being night games. One of them a late afternoon game for them on the you know for the East Coast people. Um, yeah. So you know, let's just let's also be honest about that. Doesn't doesn't explain away the lack of effort, but you know that schedule was brutal for whatever team was in that situation. Yeah. I mean, 49ers at home. That's that's a tough that's a tough spot. Never mind on short rest and you're out on the West Coast. Yeah. That was, a, that, that was a game where you saw the schedule and the schedule came out. We kind of said, well, that's a loss, right? No, I don't think anybody picked the Giants. That's fine. One and two, I think they're still, they survived, Dan. That was a tough three-game stretch. They survived somehow. Somehow we're one and two with all these issues. Uh, let's see if we can talk ourselves into a win over the Seahawks. Tough spot here, but the Giants are back home Monday night. We're going to get into that one here coming up next. But first, here's some week four fantasy advice from thehuddle.com. Of the huddle.com here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number four. Quarterback Daniel Jones, New York Giants versus Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks have given up the second most passing yards so far, allowing 339 per game, including 361 to Andy Dalton last week. We hate to be reactionary, but three straight games with at least 323 yards allowed is a trend that cannot be ignored. Jones may be without Saquon Barkley again, and Seattle may be without its two best defensive backs, so keep tabs on those situations. Either way, Jones is a reasonable gamble versus a team that has allowed 20.8% more fantasy points than the league average, and of the 131 attempts faced, a lone interception goes to Seattle's credit. 
running back Alexander Madison, Minnesota Vikings at Carolina Panthers. Madison's 27 utilizations generated 125 yards of offense in Week 3, and he did his part in fending off the fast-tracking of Cam Akers, who was acquired last week from the Los Angeles Rams. Carolina has given up major points to running backs, mostly stemming from six rushing touchdowns over the course of 75 rushing attempts, and the 344 yards allowed sits as the fifth-highest output. Only one team has surrendered more total yards per game to the position so far. Wide receiver Jerry Judy, Denver Broncos at Chicago Bears. After missing week one and shaking off the rust with a lackluster season debut, Judy started to look more like himself against Miami. He scored just over 13 points in PPR, and he should continue to see his role expand against a Chicago unit that has given up the 12th most yards per game to the position, and also the 12th highest rate of scoring. He's no worse than a flex play and could produce strong wide receiver two results, as Denver looks to overcome what was a miserable showing last Sunday. Tight end Dawson Knox, Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. Knox scored two weeks ago, but he bookended that performance with just 5.5 and 2.1 PPR points respectively. He has scored in two of the last three meetings versus Miami. So far, the Dolphins have done a rather poor job of limiting the position in fantasy. The matchup rates seventh for receptions and also PPR points allowed, and Miami's given up tight end scores at the sixth highest rate. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. We're going to get into this game against the uh, Seahawks on Monday night, Dan. Uh, some, I, I guess, some reinforcements. We've been talking about the offensive line. Sounds like Andrew Thomas is going to be back at left tackle. Good. Uh, ben Bredesen also going to be back. Good. Right. This is good stuff. Uh, we mentioned earlier about Glowinski. It sounds like Marcus McKeithen's going to start at right guard. Uh, so that pushes Josh Azudu into like that kind of, I guess, number one backup. He can play guard or tackle. Right. Uh, so. Hopefully the offensive line is in a better spot. I don't think Seattle's defense is, is as ferocious as some of the defenses the Giants have faced so far. It might be the worst defense they've faced so far, if, you're, if we're being honest. Um, Arizona might be better than Seattle on D right now. Uh, but what, what do you think about the state of the offensive line? Some of these guys, Deontay Banks, also seems like he's on track to come back. Uh, so hopefully this extra rest pays off for the Giants and, and what's going to be a tough spot on Monday night against a, a Seattle team they haven't had a ton of success against in the, in the past. Well, they certainly need Andrew Thomas back. Let's just be as clear about that as possible. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't actually like him coming back this early. I understand that he's not a skilled position player and you know therefore he can come back a little bit sooner on a hamstring injury. But if he goes out there and it does turn out to be that it's a little too early, that can quickly turn into something that costs some games in the middle of the season, late in the season. It, it could become a huge issue. And I understand why they need to rush him back. I just hope that, you know, the Giants trainers and, and the medical staff, and I know fans don't want to hear this because it has not necessarily been the case over the last decade or plus, but I, I really hope they've got this one right and they're not rushing him back out there too soon uh, as much as they do need him. Uh, but if there was a game for him to miss, it might as well be this one, right? Because you're not going up against the 49ers front seven. You're not going up against the Cowboys front seven. You know, some of these other teams that are dominant in the front seven. But still, the Giants could definitely use him back if he is healthy. You know, that's a that's a major piece of their offensive line. Arguably the most talented player on their entire team, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. Um, and anything they can do to keep Daniel Jones upright, Ben Bredesen is – not you know he's not like a superstar, but he certainly is the most consistent offensive lineman that they've Native, had over yeah. the past two you know season plus or whatever. Um, so you know hopefully this is the the right offensive line combination that finally gets these things figured out. I think if there was one encouraging sign that we saw last week, it's that you know kind of later in the game there were some instances where I, Evan Neal actually was playing well, um, and, and he was going up against elite talent too. Like it's not like it was some 
you know, backup for Joe Schmo that he was he was out there blocking. He was blocking Nick Bosa and some other really talented guys. And there was actually a few moments where I watched and I thought, wow, it's about time we see a little progress here. So hopefully that continues as well. But the Giants absolutely need that offensive line to play stout to give Daniel Jones time to allow the receivers to create separation. If they don't do that, it's just going to be a repeat of all the other stuff that we've seen this year. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but the Giants have had like a ton of different offensive line combinations, right? It's been non, yeah, it's been yeah. a total nonstop change, yeah. like performance, injuries, all that. But Evan Neal has been like one staple. Yeah, I mean, they're they're hinging themselves <laughs> on him improving, right? So it's like, let's see yeah. it. You know what I mean? Let's see it. No time like the present, there, Evan. Yeah, I know. I know it was only a quick flash, but you know what? We hadn't seen it before, so it was nice to see it. And hopefully, I hope for his sake that that builds a little confidence because he really needs that. And I think if he starts to build that confidence, then we'll start to see that change. And then you got to remember when it was. You know, Andrew Thomas, you know, he had that awful rookie year and then he came back in the next season and played a couple of poor games and people were like, oh, this guy's a bust. And then all of a sudden he just flipped a switch. You know, maybe maybe we're at that point with Evan Neal. Like, I don't want to give Giants fans too much hope because it's been pretty ugly so far, but it's entirely possible that he's following that same trajectory. And we finally are starting to see that that light go on for him. Also, on the possible reinforcement front, uh, Dave all called Saquon day to day right so that's yeah, not I, I really yeah i'm not i don't see that happening so fans, should, fans shouldn't get fired up for that i mean it's not week to week day to day make makes it sound like he's close yeah. um but you don't think you don't think he's playing in this one even even on monday well, the giants yeah well the giants also said it was an ordinary ankle sprain and then we found out that that wasn't necessarily <laughs> so true down, either, so, so downplaying every organization yeah. That crap. <laughs> yeah exactly so he went from week to week to day to day i i'm not buying that if he really does truly have a high ankle sprain the chances of him coming back and playing on, you know, Monday night are slim to none. And if it is, again, a high ankle sprain, why would you want him to anyway? You know, we've seen Saquon in the past try and play on high ankle sprain. I don't know if people have short-term memories or what, but it's not like he came back and played particularly well. Um, to say the least, he was actually a detriment to the team while he was trying to play through that injury. So, you know, if it is genuinely a, a high ankle sprain, um, I can't imagine that he would play, and if he does play, I can't imagine that he's going to be very effective. All right, so let's get into this game a little bit, Dan. Uh, it's it's a big game. Seattle could be one of those teams that the Giants are you know competing with later in the season for playoff positioning. If if we can get to that point, no, it doesn't feel like it, but we're we're keeping our hopes up, right? Uh, Seattle's been a team that's been moving in a different direction than the Giants. They grinded out a, a tough overtime win against the Lions uh, in week two. Then they came back and they beat the Panthers here in week three. They've won a couple in a row. The, this Kenneth Walker the third, their running back they drafted a couple years ago, uh, looks pretty good. They got big receivers, DK Metcalf. They got t- Tyler Lockett as well. Geno Smith playing well. This is not a, an easy matchup by any means. The Giants are one and a half point favorites in this game, so maybe getting a little bit of credit for being home. And having some guys coming back, especially some reinforcements on the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, like you said, big one. Uh, this this line would probably be probably look a lot different if the Giants were playing in Seattle, Dan, because <laughs> that's a tough place to play, um, especially in prime time on Monday night. And actually, Seattle is uh, kind of a wagon on Monday night football. The, those trends of you know the Giants' record in primetime games and Seattle's record in primetime games, it's definitely a, a mismatch if you believe in trends, right, Dan? Give me some of these numbers because you, you were throwing them at me before we started recording. I know Seattle's all-time record on Monday Night Football is 28-12 and 12, all-time on Monday Night Football for Seattle. So that's a 700 winning percentage. It's the best in NFL history. Uh, and there's some other numbers that are kind of 
might, might push people towards the Seahawks and taking the points here because they just tend to play a little bit better than the Giants in prime time, just saying it uh, lightly. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you said, it's a 700 win percentage, 28-12 on Monday night, best all time. You know, they're great the prime time period, 33-14-1 uh, since the start of the 2010 season. That includes 12-4 and on Monday night. Uh, it is a good thing that the Giants are home because Seattle's 23-6 and at home in prime time. Uh, since the 2010 season, so you could pretty if you go to Seattle on prime time, you could pretty much chalk that up to being a loss. So, you know, I, I suppose if the Giants are in a better situation, be it at MetLife, of course, it's hard to say that that applies to them, given that Daniel Jones has ever only ever won one prime time game, um, and the Giants are just in the midst of this unbelievable prime time curse where they can't get out of their own way. Not that they've ever been particularly good in prime time anyway. Um, you know, the Giants are actually 25, 46 and one all time on Monday night football, nine and 14 of that at home. So again, they don't, they don't play particularly well on Monday nights. They don't play particularly well on prime time. So, I mean, in terms of trends, not, not the best matchup for them. Well, it's nice that the Giants have played basically primetime games every single week, right? That's, that's helped their cost this year. You know? Yeah. 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 There's my there's my lame joke attempt there. But yeah, I mean, uh, how do you feel like they match up with Seattle? Right. Because, I mean, it, they had, they don't have a great recent history in these matchups. Not that the games have been complete blowouts all the time, but they've met twice in the past three years. Seattle won both of those. They they met last year, right? 2022. Mm-hmm. I think that was in Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks kind of blew them out 27, 13. Um, so it was a three point spread going in. But the but the Seahawks pulled away and won it. So. How do you feel like they match up with Seattle, especially maybe some of these issues we're seeing on defense with the Giants? I mean, Seattle's tough. DK Metcalf, that's tough, right, for a rookie. If, yeah. if like, one of the rookie corners is going against DK Metcalf, that's a tough matchup. Tyler Lockett, it's tough matchup, it's right? It's mismatch. About it like this, and they're going to have to tackle. I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, DK Metcalf, Kenneth Walker, these guys are gonna, can and do bright tackles. So, you know, they're going to have to shore that up instantaneously. Otherwise, it's going to get out of hand you know, similar to what we've seen you know, already this season. So I think that's going to be the big key there. You're going to have to make sure you tackle. You're going to have to make sure you swarm to the ball. You're going to have to find a way to generate some turnovers. The Giants have not, they don't have a takeaway this season so far. So, you know, right, you know, Monday night would certainly be prime time for that to happen. No pun intended. Um, but, you know, Seattle puts up a lot of points. The Giants give up a lot of points. So I think, you know, that offense, versus this defense not particularly a good matchup so it's going to fall on Giants offense to finally get things going they're going to have to put up some points it's just the way it's going to have to be which means they're going to have to start fast they're going to have to protect Daniel Jones I think the offense does have a chance here in this game uh, especially if everybody comes back healthy the whole Saquon thing notwithstanding uh, to kind of score with them you know where they're going to be able to score 30 plus points 29 plus points whatever it is Seattle you know, averages through three weeks a season. I don't know if they can do that, but that's that's going to be their only way to win this game is is for their defense to tackle, to get off the field on third down, and for the offense to put up some points. I know that sounds very basic. Uh, in terms of keys to the game, that's about as basic as, as you could possibly get, but these Giants are a mess in so many areas right now. It's getting back to fundamentals and doing the basic things that they need to do in order to compete, and that's going to be their only chance on, on Monday night. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm expecting the offense to play better in this one. This is Seattle's defense is not like like it was. Yeah. We've said it right They're They're just not. It's not that good. I mean, they're winning shootouts every week. The, the Seahawks are. Mm-hmm. Well, the games they've won. So yeah. they're beatable on 
defense. This is one where it's time for DJ and the offense to do their thing. Even if Saquon's not in there, it, it's time to do your thing and help the defense out a little bit. Get a game on your terms for once. <laughs> crying out loud. Yeah, it's the most favorable yeah. Yeah. offensive matchup that they've had all year long. And frankly, Dan, they got to win this game. They have, they have to, to win this game. They're at 100%. home. They have to win this. And you have at Miami at Buffalo coming up. Holy mm-hmm. crap. No, thank you. So, I mean, yeah, Miami it, might score a hundred. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, you know, trying to talk, tackle those guys right now is not a good proposition. I, I want to see the Giants yeah. buckle it up and say, you know, screw all this stuff about the tackling. Go out there, you know, buckle it up, play a tough game on defense and have the offense compete. And let's go. I mean, this is a this is a must win game for the Giants. Probably why a lot of people are putting money on them again. One and a half point favorites. Maybe you would have thought they were be underdogs here coming in after the yeah. way the Giants have been playing. They're favored in this game. And Seattle looks pretty good. So what? let's get to the great Danton. I don't know what to pick here. I kind of want to take the Seattle Seahawks. but Just because of the, we, we know what happens with the Giants in primetime. But it's also a kind of a back against the wall spot for the Giants. They have extra rest. I like that. So what do you think, Dan? What's what's the pick this, this week for the great Danton? I think the extra rest will certainly help. And I do expect the offense to play better. The problem is is what it is. Like the Giants, they're not good on prime time. They've never been good on prime time. Seattle's dominant in prime time. Um, I don't know if it's a mental thing, if it's a coincidental thing, if there's something more to it. I don't know. I have no idea. But unfortunately, I'm sorry, Giants fans. I just don't think it's going to change on Monday night. I, I do think they have a better chance this week than they had against Dallas, than they had against San Francisco. Uh, and maybe they do. Maybe offensively they do impress a little bit. Maybe they put up you know, 27, 28, 30 points. Uh, unfortunately, the way the defense is playing and the potential dominance of Seattle's offense, I just don't know that the Giants and Daniel Jones are going to be able to score enough points to win this game um, under the lights of MetLife Stadium. So, you know, uh, the great Danton is going to disappoint some people, but uh, <laughs> I, I think Seattle is going to walk away with the victory in this one. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a blowout by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I, I don't feel at all confident that the Giants are going to go in and win this one. No, no. Everybody just wants the Dan, the great Danton to be honest, Dan. We want your honest take on the game. You know what I mean? We're not going to be mad at you. But no, I think no, no Giants fan is going to be furious with you picking the Seattle Seahawks. Most, most, most of them probably think, yeah, that's a good pick. Probably I take Seattle as well. But I wouldn't have said it, you know, prior to the start of this year. I had this game as one I, I thought they could win. But yep. the, the reality is the defense playing the way that it is. Um, when we're, again, we're assuming that the offense is going to be better. It very well could just be the same nonsense that we've seen uh, outside of those two quarters against Arizona. I, I hope that they get it turned around uh, just for the organization's sake, for Daniel Jones' sake, uh, for all that money that they're spending on these guys for, for their sake there. Uh, but, you know, again, like I said, even if that does happen in the most optimistic reality that we can come up with, uh, they just don't win on primetime. And until they start winning on primetime, I can't pick them on primetime anymore. Uh, they're just a disaster on national television every single time. Not even just, they're not just losing, they're getting humiliated, yeah, you know, in, on national games. So there's no reason to believe that that's suddenly going to change against a team that could put up 30 points in the blink of an eye. Yeah, when I, when I picture the Giants in primetime, I just see Brian Dayball's face beat red, screaming at everyone. Like that's that's all I picture when I see the Giants in primetime. Is the camera fixated on Dayball losing his mind? So we'll probably. I don't know what it, it is. Like I said, I I don't know what it is about this team in primetime, but it's <laughs> it spans, it's it spans multiple GMs, multiple head coaches, complete roster turnovers. It, it just there's something in East Rutherford that just prevents this team from playing well on primetime. And again, 
like I said, this this goes back throughout their history. They're just they're not a good primetime team. Period. They never have been. Doesn't seem like they ever will be. Well, the good news, Dan, is that there's not a, a primetime game for a while after this one. Um, oh wait. Oh, thank God. Buffalo. No, never mind. <laughs> Buffalo. That's a primetime game as well. Oh, Sorry. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Buffalo Sunday night. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sorry to do that still... to you in the guise of Giants yeah. Wire with all your late nights here. It's going to continue Brutal here schedule. in a couple weeks. Oh yeah. Brutal schedule. It's been wild. But let's just start. Let's start small, Dan. Let's score a touchdown in the first half. Giants yeah, offense. Let's, okay, let's start small and go from there. See if we can score on the first series. Just for yeah. I oh, mean, God. listen, every NFL team scripts that first series. You'll yep. notice as you watch NFL games that the best offensive, you know, series that a team generally plays is usually that first offensive series because everything is so very meticulously scripted in practice. Right. So no let's just yet. start yeah. with the most basic thing and score a field goal on the opening draft. Let's just <laughs> let's set the bar slightly low and just go from there. I'll take a field goal, but I want a touchdown. I want it to. I want them to I, score I, a first no, half touchdown. But, uh, That's my goal for the game. Again, just I'm not trying to be too pie in the sky with this team. At this point. <laughs> no. Three points on your scripted drive. That's it. That's what I want to say. No, I feel for you, Dan. I know you're down on the team. So are the, so are the chickens. Um, they're behind you. They're they're down. Everyone's down on the Giants. We got to we got to get this thing turned around. A win over Seattle Seahawks would help at home with Miami and Buffalo on deck. I mean, it's a big spot. Well, for with the Miami Giants. coming up, you had better win. This yeah, game, this I'll is a big what. this is a big one. This is a big one. And, there's a chance that you you think they were embarrassed against the Cowboys. There's a chance they're really embarrassed against Miami. Yep. Yep, that one that one looks scary. We'll we'll worry about that though in another day. Uh, so for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We appreciate you as always. Uh, subscribe and tell a friend if you could. And uh, we'll be back next week to break down Seahawks Giants and then look ahead to that scary Dolphins game. <laughs> Looking forward to it as always. We'll catch you then. Mm-hmm.